This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you? Ah, I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Although we're recording slightly earlier tonight, and my kids are still awake. So if you hear screaming in the background, that'll, that'll just that'll be, be my wife, wife trying to get yeah. the kids to sleep. <laughs> uh, so hopefully uh, we get through this uninterrupted. But uh, big show coming up, Thomas. We're going to be asking you, why are builders going bust in the middle of a boom? Are emerging markets, to put it bluntly, stuffed or are they a bargain? We're going to find out. Uh, Why is Spain paying people not to work? We'll find out what's going on over there. But first, GDP data was out. Thomas, what Mm. did we learn? Yeah, GDP, this is our top shelf signature data release out of the ABS. (laughs) It came in at 0.7% in the quarter. So surprised at the upside. That was uh, more than people were expecting. Some people were worried that we're going to get a negative quarter. Uh, which would have so remember this is this is the June quarter we're getting so this is uh, April May June so it, it predates we only get the sort of the first two weeks of the Sydney lockdown with this data wow topical uh, it's <laughs> September finger, finger on the pulse so what, okay so what happened in June now the GDP data is very backward looking so there was a chance it was going to be negative given we know September is going to be massively negative people are now talking about minus four percent which is, which will be huge for the September quarter. That would have given us our two quarters in a row, would given a, give us a recession. The double dip recession. So we've we've avoided the double dip recession. For now we have, for now we have. Though that, to, to avoid it, we need to come back in the December quarter. And that, I don't know, people, people seem to be banking on locking that in, locking in the vaccination rates. The vaccination rate has picked up substantially and we're on track to somewhere 80 or 90% by December. Well, look at the Doherty report, Thomas. The Doherty report tells us we're going to be out. We're going to be fine by then. Happy Merry Christmas, everybody. I don't know. I don't think you look at the US experience. I don't think it's that clear cut. I don't think it's that you hit hit 80% vaccination rate and then it's all happy days. I think there's still a lot of struggle to get through. Um, that, and that seems to be the US and UK experience. So, yeah, so still it's I, th- I, th- I still think it's on the cards. I think we could get that double dip recession with a negative quarter in December. But for the moment, June quarter was surprised to the upside, positive 0.7. Um, yeah, so we, we dodged that bullet. That said, one of the interesting things in the data is that of that 0.7 percentage points of growth, 0.5 percentage points of that came from other inventories, which is like 70%. Mm. Of that, 0.35 percentage points, so most of 
it came from public authorities, which is most likely the stockpiling of vaccines and other medical supplies. (laughs) So all that AstraZeneca that nobody wanted... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Boom for GDP growth, as it turns out. Right. So, because we bought tons and tons of of vaccinations, that's, that's ticked us over the line into into positive territory. Give, giving us a bump, yeah. That's funny. I, yeah, that's true. People are talking about, you know, oh, thank goodness the, the Pfizer's arrived. <laughs> we did this deal with, uh, was it the UK? We did a deal for some, for some Pfizer, got out there and made a few calls and got some Pfizer hooked up. And we're literally stockpiling AstraZeneca. It's, you know what it's like? It's like when we used to be kids and... You'd say to mum, mum, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> and she's like, there's, there's lots of fruit. <laughs> like, no, like what food. That's, AstraZeneca is the fruit of the, of the vaccine situation. We want vaccines. <laughs> there's plenty of vaccines. No, not those vaccines. Uh, yeah, that's what it's like. But yeah, it's just, so the public is still still a public story to a large extent. That seven point four percent surge in public infrastructure spending, so that's pretty big. Mm. Yeah, so private sector still going pretty well. Business investment was up two point three percent in the quarter, so that's really strong. AMP had some data last week saying that company profits are up nearly fifty percent last financial year. Who AMPs are? No, 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 no. AMPs. <laughs> <laughs> no, <they're>... sorry. <laughs> They've just resorted to reporting on how well everyone else is doing. Everyone else is doing. Yeah, company profits are up 50% on the last financial year. 75% of companies are seeing a profit, but I don't think AMP is one of them. No, no. Yeah, AMP. Yeah, but corporate sector is strong. We knew, so we knew that coming. So coming into the lockdowns that corporate Australia was doing pretty well. Public mm. infrastructure spending is good. Households also doing well. Household consumption was up 1.1 in the quarter, which is a strong number. Domestic tourism was up 28% in the quarter. Yeah, it's a big number. And the savings ratio fell back towards more normal levels. So it did boom. Um, What's the savings ratio? That's uh, how much people are tucking away, how much their savings compared to income. Right. They got up to quite high Historic, mm. very, after COVID, sort of boomed up towards 10%. It's now down towards 5%, which is sort of its average level. But that was mostly due to increase in income rather than increase in savings. Mm. Um, but yeah, but the AFR had an article saying that there's, consumers are now sitting on $200 billion war chest of savings that they've accumulated through COVID, through 2020. Really? Mm. So a huge amount of money that they're, they're just sitting on. Everyone's wondering where they're going to go, whether that's going to go into retail spending or deposit on a new house or where that goes well we've started looking at we've started looking at a new kitchen that's, yeah. that's what we're that's what we're up to oh renovations are booming renovations are through the roof well that's where it started we started looking at a new floor and someone said well if you're going to do the floor you better do the kitchen first if you think if you're even thinking about doing the kitchen so we're like well we better do the kitchen yeah right and then now we're talking about putting a some sort of a an eve on the front of the house too which i didn't even know we needed but oh, <laughs> that's how they get you what, <laughs> they upsold me an eve <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a quick quote on a new kitchen, please? Sure. It's looking a bit sunny out the front there, though. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. I've never noticed. And then he called his manager, said he could do a deal. And next thing you know, we've got an eve. All right. Well, speaking of buildings and and renovations and, um, and construction... 
What's this I hear that builders are going bust? I thought I thought we were booming. What's happening? Well, builders are booming, but that's not always great news for builders, apparently. So there's a couple of stories that I've seen along these lines. Business Insider had one last week. One guy is Russ Stevens from the Association of Professional Builders. He reckons that as many as 60% of builders are already losing money. What? How? They got... They're flat out. Yeah, they're, well, they're booked out. They're flat out. They're flat out. They're booked. They've got 12 months' work booked out. They're completely booked out. You can't find a builder for love or money. But my eve's not happening till February. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see. Yes, but it's, yeah, the material costs are going through the roof. So um, there's a shortage of building supplies. We talked about timber before. Timber prices are through the roof. Mm. All of the construction times are getting blown out. So that, that adds to expenses. Yeah, and so he's saying profit margins are getting crunched. And many, many builders aren't, aren't actually making money on the deal and the buildings they're doing right now. Right. Yeah, so a bit of a, so partly it's a, it's a material shortage story sort of coming out of COVID. Partly it's sort of the nature of building. Building doesn't scale well. So, like, if you're making, you know, if you're selling an app, for example, and your and demand booms, you've, yeah, got, right. you've got no extra cost. You just pump it out, and it's just all profit. You're just making money. But as a builder, if demand booms, you've got to meet all the costs for building, particularly time and um, you know, materials and your labor and your fencing and all of that sort of stuff. So, it it, it doesn't scale well necessarily, and and an, an industry wide boom creates these sort of bottlenecks and these shortages, which is then squeezing the individual builders. Mm. You can't copy a house. You can't, you can't get on bit, BitTorrent and <laughs> pull down a new version, <laughs> house, house 2.0. Okay, cast your mind back. I, I want to ask you about this. Cast your mm. mind back to episode eight that we did of Comedian versus Economist, mm. where we talked about quantitative easing. We talked about money printing. And you told me, I'm pretty sure in that episode, that, it was okay. Money printing was okay because supply wasn't constrained. So so where we saw in the past in places like Zimbabwe where inflation went through the roof and they stuck when they started printing money, it's because there wasn't enough product to go around. There wasn't enough bread or there wasn't enough whatever it was. Are we now seeing supply constraint pushing these prices up? And is this the start of the inflation that people said wouldn't happen when we decided to print tons of money yeah so there's a little nuance to add there it's not it's not that inflation wouldn't happen it's that you you only see inflation in sectors of the economy where supply is constrained right and typically most things that go into the cpi the consumer price index that basket of goods they're not really constrained they're sort of widgets coming out of china and the more you demand the more you get and this seems like almost unlimited supply, it seems. Yep. So that's why I like a lot of the people proposing MM, MMT proponents. They're not, not they're saying like, just go for it, it's all fine. They're just saying like inflation isn't, it isn't a case of just money printing creates inflation everywhere. It creates inflation in some places and those places where it happens, those places are where supply is constrained. And this and this is what you're seeing here. This is uh, where, you know, for, for lumber and for timber, the market is constrained. It's not easy to bring new supply online. So all that extra demand that's coming through through the uh, government grants and everything, that is creating price pressure and that's that's forcing prices up. The thing that, that we're sort of worried about uh, in in markets is sustained inflation. So we're kind of and this is this is the big debate that's going on right now. It's that we are seeing these price pressures emerge. But the question is, is it a temporary price shock? Or is it something more sustained? And so you, definitely there's a price shock here. 
Mm. Lumber prices are going up. There's a shortage of builders and so on. But given a year or so, does that just sort of does, does the market just adjust? Do we pull do the tradies get pulled in from other places into the, into construction? Do the timber producers start ramping up production, which then eases eases timber prices? <laughs> timber producers, you mean trees? Trees, yeah. <laughs> It takes a while to grow a tree. It's gonna be it's gonna be a while. <laughs> In economists, we like to label them as tree producers, timber producers. So, what is what is the uh, what is the timber constraint? Is it is it we've got these big um, stockpiles of timber sitting around somewhere that can't be shipped anywhere, or is it? I think it, I think it is a bit of that. It's, it's a lot of it's a lot of it doesn't isn't made in Australia, and it's all the shipping routes are all blocked up at the moment. Right, it's hard to get stuff. Because if that's the case, then you, you kind of you unclog that pipe and and you know and, and it'll all start flowing again, and then it should go down, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. There's there's sort of a a, a reemergence of a theory which would have went dormant for a while, and this is the idea that sustained inflation only happens when you get wage price inflation. Because you get these sort of temporary shocks to like a with a demand shock like this, and prices pop. But then the economy adjusts and everything's fine. What you need is sort of that spiral to kick in. Or this is what economists, what central banks worry about, is a spiral where so all prices, consumer prices go up, and then people working go, "Hey, things are more expensive. I need more money." So they get they get a pay rise, but then that feeds through into the cost of goods. So the cost mm. cost of goods go up, and then people go, "Hey, cost of goods have gone up. I need a pay rise," and around and around we go, and then that sort of like a feedback effect in a in a speaker with a microphone it sort of you get that feedback loop and it just intensifies and just keeps going and going and that's what the sort of the dangerous inflation is because that just spirals out of control and so sort of the idea is that seems to be emerging which I'm seeing is that inflation's pretty chill it's it's not a real problem if you have these sort of temporary shocks because everything sort of adjusts the the thing to look for is when you get a wage price spiral but that needs wages to be growing, and, and we're not really seeing that just yet. Like a monkey with a miniature symbol. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> over and over and over and over. Uh, all right. <laughs> we might take a break there on that note. Um, right after this, we're going to find out, are emerging markets stuffed or are they underpriced? Back with more after these messages from our sponsors. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget you can always send us an email, cve at equitymates.com. 
or head over to the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE. You can also, of course, find us on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thomas, what's going on with emerging markets these days? Are they, in fact, stuffed or are they just underpriced? Yeah, it's an interesting space right now. So we're, we're seeing two narratives emerge around emerging markets and it's sort of polarizing people. So on one end, you have people saying that emerging markets are cheap and they're a buy. So that's like Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Jeremy Grantham. Yeah, they're saying that there's a, there's a chart I'll share to the Instagram which compares emerging markets to uh, developed markets the share markets and saying like the relatively relatively emerging markets and have never been so cheap they're the cheapest they've been in 20 years right um, before we get into too much of it can you mm-hmm. maybe just a quick a bit of a definition of what an emerging market is uh yeah look now there isn't there isn't a firm definition it's a bit subjective like typically you sort of got the got the picture it's a, a country that's sort of beyond developing it's sort of got most of the hallmarks of a, of a developed country it's got a stable financial system stable share market that sort of thing um, but it's not a proper developed industrialized economy just yet but it's it is pretty subjective and it does tend to lump you get these weird things like it lumps peru and china together right even though those two economies have almost nothing in common so it's, it, it is a bit of a a funny definition but Mm-mm. So, yeah, if you're investing in emerging markets, you can just buy, you know, MSCI has an emerging markets index, so you can just buy all of that. But you are buying a very mixed bag, um, and all the countries within that aren't going to perform mm. the same way. Sounds right up my alley, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so, this, so the argument, argument that Goldman and those guys are coming out with is that emerging markets are cheap. They've lost, relative to de- uh, developed markets, they've lost 50% of their relative value over the last 10 years, 17% in the last year to date. So while developed economies have, have been on a tear away, emerging markets haven't seen that kind of growth in their, in their share markets. And mm. so they're due. That's sort of the argument. They should, they should be... They should be. They're set to go as we come out of COVID. We've also got elevated commodity prices, which are generally good for develop most emerging economies, um, and they're less susceptible to capital flight because they haven't had so much capital inflow through this period, and they've now got larger foreign exchange reserves because they've been a bit more cautious. Um, yeah, so the outlook is good for emerging emerging economies. Thing. This might be, this is a really naive question, but are they more susceptible to uh, like are they less mature? Are they you know mm. have they got more things to worry about like corruption and things like that that maybe without the regulation of the developed economies, without a lot of those controls and maturity that comes with 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 a developed economy, mm. are they more exposed to being a bit? Are they a bit wilder? They're a bit sort of a bit, a bit crazy. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds a little racist. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not racist. <laughs> no, I think I think I mean as a stylized fact, that's probably true. There is a bit more risk involved, right? And generally, it is seen as a, as a little bit more is a riskier play. But you have higher growth because of that. But you have, the economies right. are growing strongly. The potential for for sectors to you know grow really strong because they're coming out of a less developed starting mm. point. You have a higher higher return possibility. So that's sort of the. I mean, are they are they printing money in the same way that, that the developed world is? Are they are they sort of employing modern monetary theory in their economies, or are they not yeah. sort of ready for that kind of stuff yet? Largely, largely. I mean, yeah, I think some are like China and I think Brazil and a few of those. The ones that are monetary sovereign, I think probably are. 
So this is a sort of the key definition of being able to print money is you've got to have a free floating exchange rate and be issuing debt in your own currency. If you're not doing those things, then printing money can create real problems. Um, but if you're doing both of those, then Nementi says, then the, the big risks aren't, aren't as present. So not every emerging market economy is monetary sovereign. So they either issue debt in other countries, usually US dollars, or they have they peg their exchange rates to, to other other currencies. Or if you're in El Salvador, you just go Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're just skipping monetary, monetary sovereignty. <laughs> <this guy. laughs> I'm all in. I'm, I'm all in El Salvador. Uh, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that so that's that's sort of the idea. That's one that's one that's one camp that's set up. On the other side, you have people who are saying that emerging markets are stuffed, which is what the guys from Macro Business are saying. And Namura is saying this as well. Victor Schwetz from Macquarie saying that they've. There's a reason that the the emerging markets have underperformed. They've got they've had weak growth over the past few years. They've got rising inflation. Their fiscal balances are blowing out. Though that's true, all true of the developed economies as well. There's no monetary policy firepower left, so interest rates have hit the floor, and they're not monetary sovereign. And so, yeah, they're they're in they're in a bit of a bind, they're, and they're sort of saying there's good reasons for that underperformance because there isn't that sort of pop in the in these economies right now and going forward. All right, so what do you reckon? Are they stuffed or are they under are they underpriced? Are they a bargain? Uh, I I think I think it's interesting. I mean, a lot of it a lot of it's going to come down to what happens in America, so, and whether the U.S. Fed starts looking at raising rates. So I don't know if you're. You probably weren't taking an interest back in 2013, but they had the taper tantrum back then. I wasn't even taking an interest in the article you sent me this afternoon. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So after the GFC, the US had super cheap monetary policy. They, they had money printing, uh, super cheap interest rates. And then in 2013, they started. They wanted to taper that back. They wanted to start unwinding that. Mm. And what happened is that that created a, a bit of a sudden whiplash of uh, capital flows back to, Amer- to the American dollar because the American dollar strengthened and dem- emerging currencies weakened. And that created a real headache because, you know, they're issuing debt in U.S. dollars and that sort of thing. So that created a, a real struggle for the some of the, some emerging market economies. And they had a tantrum. The, uh, the, well, the markets had a tantrum and then the, so the, what are they called? The Fragile Five, Brazil, India, Indonesia, oh, Turkey yeah. and South Africa. The Fragile Five. And then they, they now they're warning of the Troubled Ten. The Troubled Ten, yeah. Brazil, Colombia, Chile, Peru, Hungary, Romania, Turkey, South Africa, Indonesia and the Philippines. It could get worse. I'm, I'm hearing reports of the slightly bothered 25. <laughs> the mildly inconvenienced 50. <laughs> so so if, if, if the Fed starts to re- reverse course in America, if the US dollar mm. starts to appreciate, that could create some real headaches for those countries. And the other thing that Nomura point out is that Risks tends to move in a sort of it's a binary on off. There's not sort of like a general a general increase in the risk tolerance that people have for emerging markets. It's just like everyone's happy and then suddenly not everyone's out. Right, kind of thing. So you can sort of you get you kind of can lurch around pretty violently. So that was a really long answer to my question of what do you reckon? <laughs> well, I didn't even answer that bit. <laughs> you did. <laughs> 
That's an, that's how an economist answers the question. Classic economist. <laughs> you know, you could only be outdone by a politician. No, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to side with the the fragile five, the troubled ten. I, I I think it is. I think there's a probably good reason for it. I think just because they're cheap is not a good reason to buy now. I think they do have some struggles ahead of them. Uh, I'd be. I, w- I definitely wouldn't be loading up. I don't think this is a, this signal to sort of load up on emerging markets. That's my that's my See call. See late. I'm on Robin Hood right now. <laughs> Uh, very good all right well i guess uh, time will tell as it always does um and probably a timely reminder too to never take financial advice from a podcast make sure you do your own research if you're into emerging markets i'm sure there's a lot more to unpack there Uh, all right thomas before we go um i just did quickly want to touch on this apparently uh was it spain Mm, spain mm. are paying people not to work What's going on? Yeah, well, they're they're transitioning their their coal sector into non-existence, I guess, if you call that a transition. Um, <laughs> and they're doing right. that, and they're doing that by offering coal workers uh, three thousand seven hundred dollars a month for the rest of their life in in retirement as a retirement wow. package. Mm. So just like that, just we, we're getting rid of the coal mine, and so instead of your job, you get three thousand seven hundred a month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that's yeah, and interesting. It doesn't even seem to be a, a age cut off. The article I saw said there's one guy who's 44 who's just like, oh, I'm actually all right with this plan. It's pretty good. Yeah, jackpot. Yeah, just <laughs> cash in. I mean, that's good. I, I I love it. I think it's good. I think too often, you know, like we we see it. We've seen it in Australia. I remember, you know, in Adelaide, there was the government put a lot of money into into propping up, you know, Holden when it was it was failing. It was and I don't know, from from memory, I don't think it, it was like it was sort of heading towards any sort of turnaround or there was any talk. It was just kind of like, you know what, this, we're just going to keep piling money in here to keep people in jobs. Um, didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me that, that, we, that we take, you know, government money, taxpayer money and, and prop up failing private companies or failing organisations. I, I, I don't want to be harsh, but from a sort of pragmatic kind of sense, like it seems like, well, if we could... If we could subsidise anything, then subsidise the people. Don't subsidise the business. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of there's there's an idea of industry policy which used to be this idea that government should should take a, a, a steering hand in the development of industries mm. in the in the economy, and that went out of fashion with sort of Thatcher and Reagan in the eighties. Um, and sort of much more like, well, let's just take our hands off and we'll not try and pick winners and try to build industries. We'll just let the market allocate resources and come up with whatever it comes up with. Mm. And so China is sort of the other end of the spectrum. They still take a strong strong interest in, in what what happens within the economy and the sectors that, that get up and grow. But they're not, I mean, Spain's not precluding them from getting another job, presumably. Like they're just saying, no. yeah. here's a here's a... What do they call it? A pension. Mm. Um, we'll pay you as long as you, as long as it takes you to sort of either find another job. Or I, I don't know what that's worth, mind you. I don't know what whether that's a good wage in in Spain. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't even think it's conditional. Like I don't, what I was reading, it doesn't sound like you. you lo- it's not like a welfare check. It's not like you lose it if you mm. get another job. You just you just got you just keep getting it. You just keep just getting it. Tack yeah. it on the top. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, but you know, like it's a, it's kind of a win. That's a win. I mean, it's a win for everyone. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, the government's not propping up a coal mine. The coal mine's not doing damage to the the environment, environment. Mm. and and people have got a bit of extra. Like they've got some compensation for for losing their job. There's not nothing to stop them getting another job. I mean, arguably, 
you know, if you've got skills in coal mining, maybe you're not walking into a you know mm. a service desk job at at a call center or something. But yeah, but to, to play to play devil's advocate for a second, like it's mm. kind of a like it's kind of blackmailing. It's a bit like so like it's kind of a win. They had a really strong mi- uh, union that was representing the miners, and in 2012, mm. when they tried to not even not not even just shut down the industry, just remove the subsidies that the government was paying to the to the coal mines. Mm. Just remove the subsidies. The unions went on strike and ended up firing rockets at the police lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten thousand miners marched on Madrid and through and fired rockets. Fired at rockets. Police. Yeah. Oh, and so that's sort of like, like maybe it's just going to be easier if we just pay these guys to <laughs> piss off and we don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Wow. And and this kind of the coal mines is a little bit the same. It's like yeah, we're we're trashing the environment and we're eradicating the possibility for life on Earth. But if you pay us, we'll stop. I was like, yeah, is that is that a great thing? <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, the government maybe is, it could be a bit harder with it and say, look, this coal mine is needs to go and mm-hmm. people just need to be transitioned. Um, you know what I wish they'd do it with? I wish they'd do it with... Uh, with tennis lines judges. Like, we've, we've solved the problem during COVID. <laughs> COVID hit. They got Hawkeye in to say, look, lines judges. And then Wimbledon, Wimbledon brought the lines judges back. And I'm like, what are you doing? We've solved the problem. It's the same sort of deal. Like, they're redundant, and yet here we are. But I was pleased to find out they don't get paid anything. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> nah. They just know, do it for the love of it. They do it for the love. It's, it's a privilege to be a Lions judge at Wimbledon. So, there you go. And a lot, of, a lot of ex-players and stuff have come out saying you need the Lions judges there because it creates the, uh, the conflict and the tension. Think back to John McEnroe and his arguments with the Lions people. I, I don't know that employee or, or bringing people in... <laughs> To argue with John McEnroe is should be supported either. So <laughs> just pay one guy in the sidelines. You're a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the US Open. I'm pleased to see you've got rid of the Lions judges again. So I don't want to sound harsh again, but when you've got a solution that's better, it's unfortunate that the Lions people are now out of work. But um, in fairness, they weren't really in work. But maybe they can they just find another line to watch. But I think I think this is what Spain is is doing well and is leading the way. So there's a lot of talk when industries shut down about like, I oh, will help people transition, there'll be other jobs available. Mm-hmm. And like when the when the US manufacturing sector went into decline in the 2010s, that was the argument. And like, yeah, don't worry about it, guys, there'll be jobs for everyone. We'll all get we'll go to Silicon Valley, we'll all get jobs. But, like, it just didn't happen and people in the manufacturing communities just saw industries and jobs eroded and everyone was unemployed and societies were, like, torn apart and there wasn't government support for that transition. So I think this is a, it's yeah. an interesting precedent in this sense, in the, in, the, in the sense that there is money on the table and there is a direct attempt to help people transition away from a dying industry. And I think it probably is the way forward. And I, th- I, I would, you know, I'd like, I think we we'll probably see something in Australia like this at some point. Yeah. No, I think it's good. And I, I'm all, you know, absolutely in favour of, of caring for people, you know, like because people need self-worth and, and maybe there's, and I suspect a lot of that was involved in um, in any sort of manufacturing that we've seen in Australia that might have declined and then been phased out is that the government's kind of going, you know what, we, we need to keep that industry going while we transition. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not just a financial thing. It's not just kind of saying, you know what, we're going to pay you stop work right now, but don't worry because we're going to pay you because it's not about 
the money. It's about, you know, a lot of the self-worth and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm very supportive of, of that um, being a priority. So, yeah, uh, it will be interesting to see what happens and see whether it, uh, whether it catches on. But, mm. but one less coal mine can't be a bad thing. So, mm. yeah. All right, why don't we leave it there? Um, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget, you can check out all the other great podcasts from Equity Mates Media, Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, You're in Good Company, and a brand new podcast. If you haven't heard it, it's fantastic. You've got to tune in. Talk Money To Me is now available from Equity Mates Media, wherever you get your podcasts. So take a listen. And we will talk to you again next week. Thomas, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And we'll see you again. Oh, don't forget, send us an email. You can do it right now. Do it while you're angry. Uh, CVE <laughs> at equitymates.com. <laughs> equitymates.com forward slash CVE. Or send us a message via Instagram or Facebook at CVE Podcast. Hopefully, you're not angry. Uh, hopefully, you're happy and enjoying the show. And we look forward to your company next time on Comedian versus Economist. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.